You're listening to Pastor Rory Rogers as he teaches through the book of Daniel. If you have your Bibles ready, let's join him now. We're in Daniel chapter 10 tonight. You can flip your Bibles open there. Uh, Chapters 10 through 12 are a whole section of the last section of the book of Daniel. And and for just a moment, uh, we're going to step out of Bible prophecy and we're going to focus on prayer. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a good thing to do. And um, I listened to Stuart's teaching of Daniel chapter 9 from last week. And it was a very good word uh, that while we do, you know, we get excited looking at the, the signs of the times, the birth pangs that point towards Jesus coming, uh, it's so easy to slip into the danger and the idolatry of worshiping prophecy and not worshiping Jesus, you know, and getting your eyes on the, the signs of the times rather than on who it all points to. It all points to the coming prince. And so uh, we're going to just kind of f- switch gears and, and look at prayer. And the same thing can happen about prayer. It can happen about anything. We can begin to worship um, you know, methods or we can worship practices or we can worship um, even the conduit that gets us to, to Jesus uh, rather than worshiping Jesus um, but we're going to look at this this awesome weapon that the Lord has given us that we can just fully live for him and fully bear his image in this world and glorify his name. Uh, and it's that tool, it's that weapon of prayer. And so chapter 10 is kind of an introduction to this last section, this really incredible prophecy that deals with chapter 11, dealing with Jewish history from Daniel's time up to Jesus's day, and then chapter 12 dealing with um, the end times all the way up through the tribulation. So here in chapter 10, it's an introduction and it's an awesome chapter because we get to see behind the scenes what's happening behind the the veil of of uh, national government and we actually get to see what's happening spiritually uh, behind kings and princes and councils and authorities and rulers of this age but here in this chapter we're gonna we're gonna just uh, dive on in to see uh, Daniel who, who's a loved loved guy in the sight of the Lord. You know, the story is told of an old man who was loved by everyone. And so when he finally passed away, they buried him down at this special spot by the river. And as, you know, the uh, uh, rainy season came, the flood came through and his coffin was kind of unearthed by the torrential downpour and began to flow in the river. And the river pushed it up through the town, up past the library, that coffin was pushed up past the local school and ended up in a pharmacy, washing through the pharmacy, up onto the counter of the pharmacist. And as it sat there on the counter, the man popped up out of his, out of his coffin and said, hey, what do you got that can stop this coffin? Sandy asked for a corny Rory joke. There it was. Let's get back to Jesus tonight. Um, here we have a different beloved old man. Who knows where he's buried? I don't know if they buried him by the river or what, but he's 85 years old at this point, Uh, maybe even older than that. Sweet old Daniel. Don't you love sweet old men? I love the old people, man. My grandpa was almost 90 when he died, a World War II veteran. We called him the living tear duct because he would just weep at, you know, just anything. He just, he just was very sensitive and yet he was a veteran, you know, and I just love, love that old guy. He's one of my favorite men that, that 
walked the earth. I love that guy. And um, I, I love Daniel too. To see him in his old age, still going strong, finishing strong. At the age of 13, being taken captive by the Babylonians, saying goodbye to his moms, to his dad, to his home that I'm sure he loved, to his nation, and, and going into a pagan captivity where he didn't, he didn't conform to the world. But rather, he was transformed by the renewing of his mind. He stood firm. He purposed in his heart not to defile himself. Um, he had an excellent spirit with him. The mother of King Darius, or the mother of, of King Belshazzar, tells us he had an excellent spirit within him. And he was beloved of God. We're going to see that word two times in this chapter. And we saw it once last week, that Daniel, you are beloved. In fact, you're greatly beloved at 85 years old or older, still going strong. And I'm confident that he went to his grave just in sweet, intimate communion with his Lord. And that's how I want to go. I'm turning 30 in a couple months and I know I've only scratched the surface, but, uh, Man, I want to be that, that old guy that's just gone deeper and deeper and deeper every second, every minute, every, every day of his life. And something that will cause that to happen is to follow Daniel's example in this chapter. At 85 something years old, he's not kicking back, being lazy as my flesh wants to do when I get older, retire, you know, and I, I should probably that's not going to happen. Let's just be honest, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he didn't retire. He's not kicking back. He's actually pressing in uh, for three weeks. That's 21 days of fasting and prayer. And, you know, for the last, what has it been, two years now at this church, we've been fasting for a week in February. Um, for the last three years, the Lord's moved me to do a, a one-week fast every year. Who knows what this year it'll look like? It might look totally different for this church. I actually have a feeling it is going to. But anyways, um, you know, and to, to have various people come and say, oh, I'm going to be a part of it, but, you know, because of my whatever condition, um, I'm only going to do it this capacity, which is great, which is awesome. Somehow... Daniel was in a place where he was able to do um, a partial fast, but nearly to the point of full. Um, we're going to read that in just, in just a second here as we look at verse uh, 1 of chapter 10. For some reason, my little f- ribbon is still in Romans, and so you'll have to bear with me. I don't even know where Daniel is in the Old Testament. So I do have a song about it, though, that'll help me get there. It's a rap. It's a gangster rap. It helps me remember. Okay, here we are. Page 618. It says this, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long. And he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food. No meat or wine came into my mouth nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. You'll notice that it's a message. Uh, it says that word a few different times. It's, it's clear. It's true. Which every one of these visions that Daniel would get, he says it's true. It's true. I, even I, Daniel, heard this message, saw this vision. It's true. It's going to happen a long ways out, though. The Lord's told me that, he says. And then he just goes into this period of a couple weeks, three weeks, of mourning and of grieving and of fasting. 
And I did a, a memorial service recently for a 21-year-old who was killed in a motorcycle accident. I shared that with you guys. And he wasn't a Christian. And you could look at his Facebook profile and see that, and I mean, grace of God is huge. We know that. Man, I'm praying that that last minute, you know, he repented and turned to the living God. But all other signs point towards, you know, he's in hell. And that was my first memorial service I've ever done for someone that's probably separated from God for eternity. And to go, I I mean, the Lord brought the words, but in my flesh, I didn't know what to say. And he took me to the scripture in Ecclesiastes that actually talks about, it's better to be in the house of mourning and in the house of grieving than in a place of revelry and partying and, and joy. It's actually better to be in a place of mourning. It's better to be in a place of, of a funeral or of the loss of a loved one. And why is that? And Ecclesiastes goes on to say, Solomon himself, the wisest man that ever lived, says, besides Jesus, says that in those times, you're awakened to how fragile life is. How soon, in the blink of an eye, you've crossed the threshold of eternity and you're standing in judgment. You're standing before the Lord, you know, and, and it's in those times where we, it's a, it's that slap in the face. And, and so Daniel's at this point of mourning and it, no one's died, um, but he's in this place of grieving. He's in this place that it's so much so that he doesn't eat anything special. He doesn't eat anything pleasant. No, you know, no cinnamon rolls, no candy, no candy bars, no tacos, no meat, no wine, um, you know, just Celery, probably, which is, I think, the nastiest thing in the world. And water, you know, two things. Just come, Lord. Okay, I don't want to. Okay, but probably that's what, you know, something like that. Vegetables were his diet anyways. And um, it was a big thing. He's in mourning. And what could he possibly be mourning for? We're not really told, but I think we get an idea of the history. It's the third year of King Cyrus. In the first year of King Cyrus, this is the the king of the Persians, um, Cyrus gives the go-ahead to be released from captivity, fulfilling the prophecy from Jeremiah that it would only be 70 years of captivity, 70 years that they've robbed the Lord, they're going to pay the Lord back, and they're going to go uh, to Babylon. And then Babylon's going to be taken over by the <laughs> Medes and the Persians. Uh, and the Medes and the Persians are going to be taken over by the Greeks, followed by the Romans. Blue, blue, blue. You guys know the story by Daniel chapter 10. Uh, but by this point, Cyrus, the king of Persia, if you've read Nehemiah, you know what's going on. If you've read Ezra, you know what's going on. He says, you guys go back. Go back home. 70 years is complete Go home, rebuild the wall, rebuild the temple. I mean, this would be a day to bring out the marching band, make some Israeli-colored streamers, whip out the Star of David flag, and run through the streets because we are going home. An awesome, exciting day. And yet we're told that as Zerubbabel led the party back home, only about 43,000 Jews went back home. Only about 43,000. That is just a fraction of the nation that was left in captivity. People had been there for 70 years in the Babylonian Empire. They've been they'd gotten comfortable. You know, they're, you know, they're 
building businesses and to think about going, oh, moving back home and setting things up again and rebuilding that old temple and that old wall. Gosh, is it really worth it? And for Daniel to see that the nation had grown complacent, that they'd begun to be conformed to the world, um, you know, that was, that was a grieving thing to him. Think of your biggest time of grieving in your life. Mine probably when my dad died at 19 years old, you know, and, and man, weeping and, you know, walking through, I remember walking through a hallway and just falling on my face, just sobbing. I'll tell you what, I didn't fast. <laughs> I didn't fast for three weeks. As big as my grief was, the Lord had shown Daniel what a big deal it was that his children who'd fallen into paganism and idolatry and adultery and sorcery and, you know, worshiping really anything that crawled underneath the sun, that they still wouldn't repent after a 70 year spanking. It was a big deal. It was a big, big deal. And so uh, Daniel mourns, he cries out to the Lord, he weeps and he fasts for three weeks and um, presses into this discipline of fasting and of prayer. A lot of people have asked, well, if Daniel's such a big top shot, you know, how come he didn't go back home? And I'll ask you, when was the last time you traveled about 700 miles as an 85-year-old man walking on your sandals that you homemade? You know, um, it's been, probably been a while, right? Um, you know, he's probably just thought, man, my calling was to be here. The Lord's called me here for these 70 years. I don't have that much longer left. I'm just going to be here. I'm going to be a prophet to the people while I'm still here. So fasting and mourning going on. And as we've studied these last two years, what fasting does, what a powerful tool it is and how the Lord answers those times of, you know, crying out for direction, pleading for breakthrough of bondage and the yokes of addiction and, you know, strongholds that have been around our necks, that times of fasting are so powerful because we're literally denying the physical cravings and needs and addictions that this old tent has. We're denying it and we're saying, Lord, as hungry as I am for that burger, that shake, that cigarette, that joint, you know, that magazine, that TV show, whatever it might be, I'm hungry for it. But Lord, I'm more hungry for you and I'm going to prove it in my hunger. I'm going to prove it through prayer and through worship and through time spent in the word and feasting upon the bread, uh, the word of God. And, and so as we've studied that the last two years, we know that the Lord is faithful to answer us in those times of fasting, huh? And it's not always the answer we think it's going to be. And it's not always in the timing that we think it's going to be in but he does answer. We're going to look at that in just a few verses. But in verses uh, four through six here, it says, on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked and behold a certain man clothed in linen whose waist was girded with the gold of Uphaz! Exclamation point. His body was like beryl. His face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, 
his arms and his feet like burnished bronze in color and the sound of his words like the voice in multitude, like the voices in multitudes. Verses five and six show us the image that Daniel sees of this glorious man who I believe is none other than a pre-incarnate picture of Jesus. I believe this is a picture of Jesus. As you look at Revelation chapter one, we've read this passage so many times together. It's just crazy how just similar these pictures are of the resurrected, glorified Jesus in Revelation chapter one, walking in the midst of the seven lampstands, holding the seven stars in his hands, hair white and pure like wool, the same garment on, a same golden band, speaking of his royalty and his authority, and, and that garment of linen. Which it speaks of a very expensive garment, something that only the priests would have worn, the priests that ministered continually before the Lord. This, this was noting it's very costly what this glorious man is wearing. He, he's got this golden band around, about him with the exclamated gold of Uphaz, you know, which to us doesn't mean anything, but to the writer and to the reader, we know that Uphaz brought about the most expensive gold of its day. And so that was uh, the area that it's just the, the best gold this guy was clothed in. He had a body either like a barrel, <laughs> clothed in a barrel, you know, or he's got this body like barrel, which is a very precious stone, a beautiful stone. His face is like lightning. Don't you love living in central Oregon? We know what it means when you see lightning. It's just whoa, you know, oh yeah, oh, look at that one, oh, you know, man, when, when you get a glimpse of the Lord's face, it just causes your, your heart to jump, your, your voice to cry out something in praise. These eyes like torches of fire, you read it in Revelation 1, that when Jesus looks, there's two things fire brings. It brings warmth and comfort. And if you're lost out in the woods on a snowy day and you're out hunting, you know, and you come and you bust through to a campsite, praise the Lord. I've heard a lot of stories about those hunters getting lost and finding their way to a fire. And it's just the comfort and the warmth that a fire brings that speaks of something else, especially in scripture. It speaks of judgment, you know, in those eyes that Jesus has. You know, he can melt the wax with those eyes. You know, he can just melt us in comfort. But man, there's also judgment when he looks upon sin. His arms and his feet like burnished bronze in color. John the Revelator writes about these bronze feet that he has that you read later on in Revelation. It's those feet that tread out the winepress of the wrath of God like grapes in a winepress so are the, the bodies of those that reject Christ. They're going to be judged in like manner. And so, you know, I believe that Daniel is seeing with the voice of a multitude, uh, I believe he's seeing Jesus. Possible he's seeing an angel. There is a part in Revelation where there's an angel that we see that it looks just like Jesus, but it's not Jesus. And man, isn't imitation just the best sort of praise. You know, we want to imitate Jesus. You know, I hope that when the Lord sees me, he's like, you're looking just like me. You just, uh, you know, my purity is being imparted. You've got Rory, there's hair white like wool, man. You're, you're being that 
image bearer of Jesus. And so probably a Christophany, but, um, you know, could be an angel. I, I think it's Jesus here that we see that, that in this experience of glory, verse 7 tells us, I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Now, now who knows if Daniel called these men to be alongside of him and, and calling a fast, a sacred fast, an assembly, um, he may have, Shadrach, Meshach may have been in the group of Abednego, um, but we have almost an Apostle Paul or Saul of Tarsus experience where the glory of the Lord shines down. The encounter happens to really one man, but the other guys around, they're terrified by the presence of the glory of the Lord, and they just run. Man, don't you want to see that in our church today? I'll tell you what, if one of you can have an encounter with Jesus like Daniel has in chapter 10, and it freaks me out so that I run out the door, amen. I want you to have this encounter with the Lord. That the people around you say, man, there's a living God. And that man or that woman has just had an encounter with them within the biblical order, of course, that we see in the scriptures. And, uh, but, you know, they ran to hide themselves. Great terror fell upon them. Therefore, I was left alone when I saw this great vision. And no strength remained in me for my vigor or my life was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. And so a couple different times in this chapter, we're going to kind of go from glory to frailty. And he's just, Daniel's going to have these moments of just, revelation and just the Shekinah experienced in his life just to the fullest that man can imagine it. And it just zaps him of strength to where his vigor, his youthfulness at 85 years old, you know, just boom, just it's gone. All of his strength is gone as he uh, just uh, sleeps, falls to this deep sleep on his face with his face to the ground. I told you my experience of that after my dad died, of falling asleep and having the cattle come and nudge my feet and um, just not being able to wake up. And just, I've been there, maybe you guys have been there, but you know, just the encounter with the Lord just sucks him dry here, seeing the Lord, just wiping him out. And then we see that we kind of move from an encounter with Jesus to perhaps an encounter with another individual, probably an angelic individual, perhaps Gabriel himself. Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palm of my hands. And uh, just was tempted as I was studying today to get down on my, my posture to be like Daniel's here, to just experience what he's just on his all fours trembling in this revelation he's having of the glory of the Lord, a hand touching him here. Um, and he says to him, Oh, Daniel, man, greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright for I've now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. 
You know, the world has some interesting views of angels. I remember being part of FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, when I was in high school. I wasn't an athlete by any means. Uh, I'm very not body aware. Can't do a handstand, cartwheel, somersault, nothing. Okay, <laughs> as Kevin says, I can't sit Indian style, you know, cross-legged. But um, I was in FCA, and the Lord was doing radical things in FCA, um, we would have 50 high schoolers in, I had a really big bedroom built on top of a garage and we had 50 people crowded in there. And in one night, all 50 of these kids made some kind of a response to the gospel that night. And, you know, I don't really know how they're doing nowadays, but that was a very exciting thing back then. And I remember one night we kind of let FCA kind of you know, do the FCA thing technically where just any athlete can share something. I remember these two girls just doing uh, a study on angels. And it was nothing more than a glorified CBS episode of Touched by an Angel. I mean, it was focused on the angel and, you know, not biblical really either, more of a precious moments version or something. And just left, left me dry, you know, it really didn't point me to Jesus at all. And, um, you know, it's interesting as you read children's accounts, a couple of them, a girl named Sarah, who's seven, said, I only know the names of two angels, Hark and Harold. Or Greg, who's five, says, everybody's got it all wrong. Angels don't wear halos anymore. I forget why, but scientists are working on it. Or Olive at age nine says, it's not easy to become an angel. First you die, then you go to heaven, then there's the flight training to go through, and then you've got to agree to wear those angel clothes, you know? And that's all, you know, little kids, and yet adults kind of have the same view of angels. Um, reading an account in 1985 of some Russian um, astronauts, some of you might remember, that were up in a space station working on the Hubble telescope, and they reported seeing seven angels um, that for a multitude of days would appear outside of the uh, station, and they would see literal, like, just the full-blown angel, smiling faces, and, and just, you know, all seven of them bear account of this. Russian astronauts who, with their communistic, atheistic backgrounds, don't really like to talk about that stuff uh, so much, but um, anyways, just, uh, you know, there's just kind of this lack of understanding. And as you read the book of Daniel, you get some perspective on really what the angelic world um, is about. And the New Testament seems like the closer and closer you get to the second coming of Jesus, the more and more and more you see just angels, um, you know, serving men, serving Christians, and serving at the throne of God. Um, in the New Testament, you've got angels announcing the birth of John the Baptist, and then going to Mary and announcing the, the pregnancy of, of Christ. Uh, after Jesus' temptation, angels came and ministered to Jesus. Uh, in Matthew chapter 24, you read of, chapter 25, you read of the angels reaping the harvest of the earth in the last days. You got an angel striking Peter as he's in prison and waking him up and leading him out of the prison miraculously, doors opening, gates opening on, on their own. You've got an angel smiting Herod and his pride and then worms devouring him. You know, in the New Testament, just constantly seeing angels appear to Paul on the ship on his way to Rome. An angel came and assured him that they would make it there alive, although the ship and the cargo would be lost. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14 says, Aren't angels ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation? 
It's a pretty bold, neat statement by the author of Hebrews, isn't it? I don't know if you're here tonight and you've inherited salvation. What that means is that you have servant angels serving you. Serving you as you serve. It's not about you. It's not about, oh yeah, now I get to have my needs met. You know, all of that. It's about, man, assistance as you go out and glorify Jesus and fulfill the great commission. God is giving you his arsenal to do his work. And yes, there's the benefits of having the guardian angel as your car swerves off the road. And we're very thankful for that. But really, it's, it's not just about pampering you on this life here on earth. It's about just the kingdom of God presently at hand, working through individuals to bring it fully about. And that's an exciting, awesome thing. You see this gentle, loving touch of God through this angel in Daniel chapter 10. Daniel is on his face, 85-year-old guy, face plant in the middle of the room, I was teaching New Year's Day one morning at Calvary Chapel Corvallis in the old Westland Middle School gym, probably 700 people in there. And an 85-year-old gal got up to walk out to use the restroom in the middle of the service and does a face plant, passes out, crushes her face, and just the whole church just ran to help her. I didn't even know what was going on. And to just see these old folks, you know, falling on their face. Daniel falling on his face and, and sleeping. And this angel just comes and touches him, recognizing his frailty, the touch of the Lord on Daniel's life, giving him strength so that he can go back about the Lord's business. He's being served. He's being ministered to by this spirit. Uh, Psalm 8 verse 5 tells us that man has been made a little lower than the angel's. And yet, 1 Corinthians tells us that we're going to actually judge the angels. But the angels love that, huh? After they've observed all that's happened in human history, you know, I'm going to be judged by that. <laughs> I don't, well, okay, I guess so, Lord. You know, whatever you say, Lord, you're right. Um, and so, uh, this hand of this being that's invisible and really incomprehensible to us, and yet in this parallel world to us, uh, ministering, to Daniel here. This hand touched him. It made him tremble on his knees and the palms of his hands. And he says this to him, that Daniel, you're a man greatly beloved. We'll see that two times in this chapter. It just speaks of adoration. And it leads, this adoration goes to communication. Chapter 9, verse 23, the the angel tells him the same thing. Daniel, you are greatly beloved beloved. In memorizing the book of Romans, those of you that are doing it with me, uh, Romans says in the greeting, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Isn't that neat that a New Testament saint has that same status because of Jesus that Daniel had because of Jesus in the Old Testament? See, Daniel was seen through the lens of the cross, just like we're seen through the lens of the cross. And because we're seen with Jesus's garments of righteousness, we're beloved of God. We're called to be saints, just like Daniel there. The adoration, it leads to communication. Abraham was known as a friend of God, and God revealed to him what he was going to do to Sodom and Gomorrah. 
And here Daniel, this beloved of God, gets this radical vision that's true, he says, that refers to time in the future. John chapter 15, verse 15, really a chapter all about, saturated with the love of God. John 15, 15 says this, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. A servant doesn't know what his master's doing. I've called you friends for all things that I heard from my father, I've made known to you. Isn't that awesome? Those that are beloved of God, we get that, that hidden just knowledge from the Lord. You know, the, the knowledge, not to be a Gnostic and say we have the secret knowledge, but he's revealed himself to us in his word. You know, eye has not seen and ear hasn't heard the things that God's prepared for those that love him. And yet the verse goes on to say that, you know, but he's revealed it to us because we're his beloved. You know, we're his chosen. We're his elected and his predestined. In Jesus, there's favor and there's foresight. Jesus told us everything he knows. He says, I don't know, I don't know the day or the hour. Only my father knows that. The angels don't even know that. I don't know the day or the hour, but what I do know, I'm going to tell you. Here's the signs of the times, you know, and he gives it. Matthew chapter 24 and 25, he says, here's what I do know. Get ready. I'm coming soon. Favor and foresight in Jesus. We've got dearest just addressed to us as well as discernment. Stand upright. I've been sent to you. And while he's speaking the words to me, I stood up trembling. Just, you know, just in his, just overcome, shaking like a leaf. There's a song that's written, I believe it was written in Corvallis, shaking like a leaf, afraid to lift my eyes. You know, just aware of all your glory, ashamed of all my pride. Now, when we're in the presence of the Lord, the chorus goes on to say, I tremble. And I empty myself of everything I've ever done. I tremble before you, Lord. When was the last time you've been there? When was the last time you've been in, an, in a, the presence of the Lord to where you've even gotten on your knees? Christian, when was the last time you've gotten on your knees before Jesus? Of course, our body posture should reflect the posture of our heart, right? When was the last time your heart has ever been on its knees? When was the last time your heart arms have ever raised? Well, I'm just, people are going to look at me and you're not going to raise your hand before men to be seen by men. Right. Don't raise your arms to be seen by men and don't bow your knees to be seen by men. But get on your knees to be seen by the Lord and to worship him. Get on your, you know, get your arms lifted up and biblically lift those arms up to Jesus. I always look back to Solomon and his prayer of dedication to the temple. And he actually had a platform, some 13 feet tall made in the middle of the, of the temple mount there. And in his prayer, he's up in front of people. He's all over the place, man. He's down on his knees. He's up. He's got his arms lifted up. And he's crying out for the Shekinah of the Lord to fill the temple with glory. And what happens? As the good old Matt Redman song says, Lord, let your glory fall as on that ancient day. Songs of enduring love. And then your fire came. And 
I, for one, want to be someone that, man, when I moved to be on my knees, be on my knees. When I moved to lift my hand, I lift my hands. Not to please man, not to be seen by man, but to just worship the Lord biblically in spirit and in truth. Well, Rory, I've never been there where I've wanted to do that. Hey, get away with the Lord Jesus who's risen and seek him in his Daniel 10 and Revelation 1 glorified state. And you'll be on your knees. And those hands will be lifted. I'm not a singer. I'm never going to sing. You can't make me. You'll sing. (laughs) You'll tremble. You'll be on your palms. I mean, I don't even get on the palms of my hand. I'm more of a fist guy or something. You know, the palms. You're just like trembling. Before the Lord in his glory. Reflecting him. Shining. The praises of God ever on your lips. Beloved of God, you know, stand up. Don't fear. Verse 12, don't fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I've come because of your words. Why was he trembling? You know, why was he frail? Homeboy was fear, was afraid. <laughs> you know, he was scared. When I was in middle school, I went to a kind of a hyper-Pentecostal church, got the slaying in the spirit going on, got the screaming in the spirit, NFL quarterback that used to play for the Patriots, big old dude would just start screaming and just make the back hair of your neck stand up, you know, but just a lot focused on, you know, just the demonic realm, you know, spiritual realm, and there's a demon in that, and that's the spirit of this, and this is the spirit of that, and everyone's reading the Frank Peretti novels, you know, and, you know, as a seventh grader doing a book report on the Frank Peretti novels, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, in every rafter in the, in my house, there's a demon, and on another rafter, there's an angel, you know, and just taking the garbage out at night, and just be like, oh gosh, oh gosh, oh gosh, oh gosh, putting the garbage in and running back inside, you know, oh gosh, oh gosh, and um, being in that place for a while, and actually having stuff going on in my bedroom where my, my bed would, okay, anyways, um, anyways, freshman in high school, for a couple years, just stuff going on, and I just had like this feeling, not like from the Lord, but like, Laying in bed at night, what's going to happen if an angel appears in my room? It's going to happen, you know? And just terrified that an angel is just going to appear just to tell me some special message that I really needed to know. And like the youth group leadership had to come over, surprise visit while I was in bed at night. My sister, thank you, Heather, arranged that. And they came and they prayed over me. They prayed over my heart. And uh, they opened up to 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 9 through 18. Let's go ahead and flip over there. And, you know, they just spoke encouragement to me that, you know, the Lord isn't in the business of, like, just terrifying people and, you know, with pranks and things like that, walking around a corner and there's an angel. Um, But uh, we don't need to be afraid that they're ministering spirits sent to minister to those who've inherited eternal life. Donald Barnhouse calls this the invisible war that's going on. And if we did see it, it would probably freak us out to an extent like Daniel here. He was afraid of what he saw. But I remember that night as Mark and the youth group leadership was there. And opening it up, 2 Kings verses six, or chapter 6, you know, the, the king of Syria is wondering why all of his battle plans are going awry against Israel. 
And one of his servants says, it's because there's a guy in Israel that's telling, you know, we don't have a mole, we don't have a snitch, and we don't have a spy, but there's a man in Israel that tells the king of Israel everything that you say to your wife in your bedroom at night. He has a direct line to God who knows exactly what's going on in your home. And so the king of Syria says, let's go down there and let's capture this guy so we can win against Israel. So this whole army goes on down there. Uh, Verse 14 says, he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and they surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God, this is Gehazi, the servant of Elijah, he arose early, went out. There was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, do not fear for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, strike the people, I pray, with blindness. He struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. The rest of the story is really cool as well. The ministry to these soldiers, enemy soldiers, but just the encouragement there to us that these ministering spirits, you know, they are strong, bearing the power of the Lord and of in his might. You know, they they come with chariots of fire. They caught Elijah up in one and completely obliterated or or brought the victory about against the Assyrian army here. What an encouragement to know that the angels of the Lord, you know, they're not in the business of just, you know, hey, who can we prank tonight? Who can we scare tonight? Um, But, you know, while this parallel world is invisible most of the time, and incomprehensible to a lot of our finite brains, um, this spiritual realm affects the world every day. And we're going to see that by the end of the chapter tonight. But notice he says there that it's from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God. Your words were heard and I've come because of your words. For three weeks, that's 21 days, Daniel was fasting and praying and how awesome. One of my favorite passages in the Old Testament, that day One, of setting your heart to seek the Lord, the Lord heard. He heard the prayers. He heard the cries. And how many times have we been praying and we've just felt like our prayers, you know, they're just lame. I mean, gosh, Lord, that doesn't sound eloquent at all. Or that's not really what I I meant when I said that, Lord. And oh, gosh, the prayer meeting probably thinks I'm a fool. And oh, just so worried about our appearance and our just the sound of our prayers. And Daniel just came as an 85-year-old dude just fasting and praying and crying out, mourning, sackcloth, ashes. You know what's going down. You read chapter 9 last, last week. Same thing probably happening here with the mourning and the weeping, all of that. And it was heard. This heart of sincerity was heard. And then an angel comes. At the end of the verse, it says this, I have come because of your words. No prayer. No crying out to the Lord. No fasting equals no revelation. Equals no encounter. 
And it's not that we manipulate God by our actions or he owes us something, but it's just that privilege of prayer that God has given us to be a part of what he's doing in this world. That he in his omniscience and his omnipotence and in his sovereignty would use finite man who was made a little lower than the angels. He's mindful of man and he uses man. And as man draws near to God, God draws near to man. Tom Ewers told us, right? The Prineville promise, all you men that were at the men's retreat. And so Daniel, when you began to pray, the first day your words were heard. There's times when we go to prayer and our words aren't heard. Psalm 66 verse 18 says that if I regard iniquity in my heart, you will not hear me. The judgment against sin that Deuteronomy and Leviticus speaks about says that there's going to be brass heavens when you go to pray. Pressure's going to ding, reflect off. James tells us, you know, that we lust and we war and we fight against each other and we ask and we have not because we ask amiss that we might spend it on our pleasures. But as Daniel came to pray, man, he came confessing his sins. You read about it in chapter 9 confessing his sins, the sins of his countrymen. He made it personal. He made it public. All of this confession and repentance. There was no sin regarded in his heart. There was no asking amiss that he might spend it on his pleasures. This guy was mourning and grieving because of the state of his nation. And reading um, How to Pray by R.A. Torrey at The Pulse Thursday nights, uh, we just finished The Kneeling Christian on Thursday nights, and we started Chuck Smith's book, Living Water, on Thursday night. So come on out tomorrow. We'll be in chapter two of Living Water. And, um, but something that we've been just learning is that God can answer prayer immediately and directly, literally, you know, lickety split, you know. Um, he can also answer prayer with a no. You know, God always answers prayer. It's just either yes or no, okay? His answers can be no. He can answer a prayer with a no. And, and sometimes it's because I know what you want, but it's not good for you. It's not good for my plan. It's not good for my glory, whatever. You're not going to get it. Not going to do that. But he can also delay an answer. And that's what we see here in this chapter. We see a delayed answer. And why would he do that? He, he might do that because he wants to spend time with us. If we got the goods immediately, we'd be on about our merry way and that time of seeking the Lord and crying out to the Lord in desperation and worshiping him, it would have been over at hour one, not to have been visited again for another couple months, years, whatever. And so just that time of, you know, earnest prayer, the, the continual knocking of, that we read about in the gospels, uh, the continual pleading of the uh, widow to the unjust judge, that constant heartfelt prayer of a righteous man. Um, another reason why the prayer might be delayed is because he really wants you to think through and pray about what you desire. And the third reason, which we see tonight, a delayed answer is because of spiritual demonic warfare delaying the answer. And we see that because from day one out of 21, day one, I was sent to you because of your words. But verse 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me for I'd been left alone there with the kings of Persia. 
So as the angel is sent out, we just really get this radical behind-the-scenes picture of what's going on in the spiritual realm, specifically behind the governments that, that are set up in this world. Daniel's praying, he's repenting for his nation, he's grieving, he's mourning, and a messenger, probably Gabriel, is dispatched. As he goes, a, a demonic angel over Persia, kind of given this title of the prince demon over Persia, came and fought with him for 21 days. Interesting. How many days was Daniel fasting for? 21 days. Finally, Michael, the archangel, comes and intercedes or intercepts this demon. Gabriel makes it down to Daniel. In Revelation chapter 12, we read of another battle with Michael, the archangel, when finally he fights against the devil and his angels, and Michael and his angels are fighting, and they get to kick the devil out of heaven forever. An awesome day that is. The devil will come back with a vengeance, knowing that he has but a little time uh, before the end of the ends. But Michael comes, he intercepts, he, he begins to fight this demon, and it just reminds us that Ephesians six twelve should be about our mind continually. And that's that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We're not battling against our kids, you guys. We're not battling against our wife, our husband. We're not battling against um, Barack Obama, you know, or the Senate or whatever. You know, we're not battling against, you know, our mayor, whatever, you know, to bring it to just a government sense. You know, even as we've got the uh, first 1,000 signing party on September 18th here at the church uh, to sign this initiative getting that bill in place so that our tax dollars aren't used for aborting 3,500 babies a year. Our battle isn't against Democrats or Republicans or, you know, abortion doctors. That's not our battle. You know, the battle's against principalities and powers, and we've been given the privilege to fight the battle through prayer. And uh, we read that in Ephesians six twelve that not only are angels and demons very real, there's actually rank and order amongst them. Principalities, powers, rulers, hosts of wickedness. There's this echelon of order in the heavenly realm, both with good angels and bad angels. Now, the Bible seems to teach that each country has a specific demon overseeing and undermining that country. Interesting, during the rise of Nazi Germany, during the Blitzkrieg, it's reported that uh, Adolf Hitler used to go every night and see a spiritist and then practice just worship of the occult. And, you know, no wonder as we look at what that brought about, just a demonic siege across Europe against um, the, you know, the Jews. Um, but uh, this happening, Michael the archangel comes in, after 21 days, now what if Daniel would have quit praying at day 18? Just kind of the hint is that you kept it up for 21 days, and it took 21 days. So as we're moved by the Holy Spirit to fast and to pray, as a public fast is called in our church, or as the Holy Spirit calls a private fast just between you or you and your spouse or whatever, Go as long as the Lord says to go. 
You don't need to go longer. You don't need to go shorter or uh, don't go shorter. Go as long as the spirit is telling you to. And uh, interesting, just that number lines up with the days that he fasted. Now, and just encourage you to look at the fights that you're in and to ask the Lord to give you perspective on it. Go into the battle with the tools that he's given you. Interesting that today, as I'm studying this, random attack in my home. And I'm studying this, and I'm reading as it's happening, Ephesians 6. I'm just like, Lord, this isn't a physical battle. It's a spiritual battle. So fight, Lord. Fight this battle. And uh, as 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 6 tells us, why don't we go ahead and flip there, get a little bearing on our time. We've got five more minutes. So just five more minutes. Let's press in. Go to 2 Corinthians 10 and Ephesians chapter 6. Okay? You flip to those two places. See here the Bible is flipping? Oh, page flipping. Even if you're not going to turn, just flip those pages. <laughs> Good job. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Okay, own this, you guys. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. We're walking in the flesh, but our battle's not in the flesh. We've been given weapons. It's not the Springfield XDM, the gun of the year, three years in a row. It's a nice one. I have to admit, I have it. Okay, anyways, it's not that. It's not a hand grenade. It's not the F-16, you know. It's prayer, and it's worship. And we've been given an armor there in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 19, where we're told, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, put on the armor of God, the whole armor that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For again, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand, therefore, having girded your waist with the belt of truth having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints and for me that utterance may be given to me, that I might open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I'm an ambassador in change, chains, that in it I may speak boldly just as I ought to speak. So we've been given these weapons that are going to quench arguments. How often is that the battle? Arguments or high and lofty thoughts that not only exalt yourself against someone else, but against Jesus himself. And, you know, these thoughts that come in and, and by the power of the spirit, we can take them captive, you know, and in the morning when we rise, putting on that helmet of salvation, that's going to help protect our mind. The, these, these armor, 
you know, ar- this armory that God has given us to stand in the power of not our own might, but his might. We've been given more tools. Mark 9, 29 says that um, this demonic spirit can be cast out by nothing but times of prayer and fasting. As H.A. Ironside said, uh, that demonic power can't be fought unless you've been in intimate contact with the Lord. Day in and day out, you're in communion with the Lord. Revelation 12, 11 says that the enemies overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of his testimony. In Mark 9, 28, uh, Jesus says that, uh, or the disciples said that they would cast out demons in the name of Jesus. So even that name of Jesus above every other name, it's a tool, it's a weapon in and of itself. Um, James chapter four, verse seven says that we can submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee. So two more weapons, submitting to the Lord and resisting the devil and he will flee. And uh, it's important to note in all of this that while yes, there's a battle going on, it's very real, it's very powerful. The battle is not between two equally powerful forces. Get that into your head. It's not the battle of yin and yang here and kind of this swirly motion that, oh, God's winning. Oh, no, the devil's winning. Oh, God's winning. Oh, no. No, God is winning. God has won. God will win. All right? God's just in this process of victory that's just happening right now. He knocks Satan's teeth out at the cross. And now this lion Satan's trying to gum us to death, you know, um, and, you know, he's, he's going to ultimately win that day. You know, we're just going to see it in finality, in closure, when Michael the archangel kicks the devil out of heaven so he can't bring accusations against us anymore. And then when he's cast into the lake of fire in that final time in chapter 20 of Revelation, he'll be, he'll be like done forever. And, and so, you know, don't go to prayer like, oh no, God, you know, oh no, what's, I know you really need our help and, you know, and, and gosh, the devil, he's just winning all over the place. Like, man, go into it with the mindset of, Lord, you're the victor, you're the winner, crush and keep crushing and keep furthering your kingdom and keep making your name known, keep making your name great. Uh, so remember, you know, God's omnipotent, God's omniscient, God is sovereign, God is omnipresent, the devil's not, he's none of those things. And uh, so let's go ahead and kind of wrap up the chapter tonight. Um, So Michael comes in and fights so that Gabriel can come. Now I've come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days for the vision refers to many days yet to come. So we'll see that in chapter uh, 12, just that final end times prophecy for the the end that we could know, um, not the day, um, but the season when Jesus will come back. We'll get to see him face to face. Verse 15, when he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. It's that process of glory and revelation to frailty and just falling on the ground and losing words and and becoming speechless. Suddenly, one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips, just like he did with Isaiah in chapter 6. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, my Lord, Because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I've retained no strength. For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? 
As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is any breath left in me. This, this vision, we talked about this in chapter um, 8. You know, as you look at the end times and God pouring out his wrath upon a Christ-rejecting planet Earth, it's nothing to laugh about. When you read Revelation, it should produce such a sorrow like Daniel has that and we would just be pleading with our, you know, our fellow countrymen and our fellow man just to be reconciled to God. And be, you know, um, we'll look at it again in it, the closures of chapter 7 and chapter 8. You know, just more what that meant uh, to Daniel here. Um, actually, let's look at it now. Look at it in my notes. That was the spot. Look at over just chapter 7 at the end of uh, chapter 7, verse 28. You know, the end of that vision, he says, this is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me and my countenance changed, but I kept the manner in my heart. And then the next chapter, chapter 8, verse 27, and I, Daniel, fainted and was sick for days afterward. I arose and went about the king's business. I was astonished by the vision, but no one understood it. Uh, So just this, you know, we all pray, Lord, give me visions, give me dreams, you know, like Joel prophesied in the end days, young men will dream, or old men will dream dreams, and young men will see visions, and Lord, give me that, give me that. And do we really want that? (laughs) Really? I don't know if I really do. I need to repent probably, because I don't know that I want the, that, happening. Lord, I don't know that I want to stop eating. You know, I don't know that I want to be grieved. I don't know that I want my countenance to change. I want to happy go lucky all the time. Lord, give us visions. Give us dreams. Let us mourn. Let us grieve. Let us, let our countenance change from those visions, Lord, that when we're at work and our coworker sees us sobbing, you know, behind the, the switches or sobbing behind the sewing machine or sobbing behind the computer. Why are you crying? Maybe it's because I know what's going to happen to the lost. And I know that God's robbed of so much glory when men won't worship him. And Lord, give us visions like that, even, if it, even when it brings about the sorrow and the weeping. And uh, Char- Charles Spurgeon said, when one said, you cannot see God and live, another answered, then let me see him even if I die. And so, Lord, let us see you even if we die. Closing up the chapter here. Verse 18, then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, do you not know why I have come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I've gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you that it's noted in the scripture of truth, no one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. So just that that again, just weakness, strength from the Lord. Don't be afraid. Be strong. Yes, be strong. But I've got to go back to the battle. The battle continues. This angel went back. I believe it's Gabriel. It matches chapter 9, matches Luke chapter 1. But he goes back to the battle. And you know what? We need to go back to the battle too. We need to go back into prayer and press in. Maybe more than we ever have before. You know, maybe redig those old wells that have been filled in over time. 
Maybe there was a time when you were a prayer warrior. Or maybe there was a time when you were just, uh, just fighting in the, in the heavens alongside with the Lord. There was a time when you were putting the armor on regularly. There's a time when you were praying regularly for your church leaders. There's a time when you were praying regularly for your president. And our country needs it now more than ever. Not hearts that would criticize and hate and shoot out the lip at Barack Obama, but people that would pray for, for kings and for those that are in authority. People that pray for the rulers. The battle's not over. Let's get back to it, huh? Let's go and press into prayer. And man, I'll just tell you, as a pastor over you guys, as a shepherd over you, man, let's be a praying church. Jesus could come back tomorrow. Let's press in to prayer. The pulse every Thursday night for an hour and a half. We end it right at 730 just to be sensitive to your time. Come and pray with us, church. Come and pray. Would you? Would you come and pray? And if you can't make it to that, I do understand. But pray where you're at. Take time and get away and fast. And press into this discipline that Daniel was strong in. You know, Daniel, he's great, right? Yes, thank you, Lord, for bringing Daniel into this world. But you know what, Dan, what made Daniel the man that he is? Chapter 6 tells us, or chapter 7 tells us. Chapter 5 tells us. Dari, uh, Belshazzar's mom says that it was in him there was an excellent spirit. The spirit of the Lord was in him. And so tonight, let's go ahead and Jake, if you could come on up, and Chris, we'll close in a song. And let's just cry out for the Lord to just pour himself out upon us. Lord, more of you, less of us. Lord, bring about a double portion of your spirit like you did on Elisha. We want more of you, Lord. We want to have more of a heart like Daniel. We want to have a heart that would pray and that would just take advantage of the tools and the weapons, Lord, that you've made available for us. Lord, such a privilege is prayer. And such a privilege is fasting. And Lord, tonight, to just get a glimpse behind the scenes of what's going on, Lord, to realize that over the White House right now, there's just demonic activity that's really happening. Lord, to realize that even here in our courthouse in Crook County, there's demonic activity. To know even in this room, there's spiritual activity. There's warfare in the homes of the people that we love. Lord, that we've been called to encourage and lift up. There's a battle going on. Pour out your spirit on us, Lord, that we could fight in power, that we could worship in power, that we could pray in power. Thank you for that word to Daniel, that he's greatly beloved and that we're greatly beloved as well. No harm can come from knowing that, Lord. Just as we sang, he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. I don't have time to maintain these regrets when I think about the way he loves us. Lord, just now for a moment, we want to soak that in, Lord. Your love towards us. We see it on the cross. We see it before the cross when you came to the earth and you lived the life of a man. 
And we see it now after the ascension and that you didn't leave us as orphans, but you poured out your spirit in and upon us, Lord. We see your love in that even. We see your love that you use us. We see your love, as Ephesians 1 says, that you predestined us and you elected us. You chose us, Lord. That by the power of your grace, we could be part of the beloved. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. We soak that in tonight, Lord. May that love just cause us to hate sin and love you. We worship you and we glorify you tonight. Let's close in song tonight. Let's stand. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Primeville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Primeville, Oregon 97754, or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.